The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. During the height of the Cold War, nations around the world were gearing up to the genuine threat of nuclear war. In America, children were taught nursery rhymes, which advised what to do when the sirens sounded. Across Europe, information pamphlets were handed out to millions of citizens telling potential survivors to use wardrobes for protection and to stay out of bungalows. And in Britain, public information adverts were broadcast across the country to warn people about what to do if a nuclear bomb landed on British soil. You might be wondering, who presented these public broadcasts in the UK? Was it the Prime Minister? the head of the army, perhaps even the chief of police? No. Instead, during the Cold War, during this genuine time of threat, they decided to turn to England football player Kevin Keegan. That's right, Kevin Keegan, a boy from Doncaster with a love for Newcastle United. That Kevin Keegan. Now, Keegan has a lot of skills, but he is hardly an expert in nuclear war preparation. It's like asking Usain Bolt to deliver advice on COVID-19, or getting Gordon Ramsay to present a seminar on Bitcoin. It seems odd, right? Or maybe not. See, for years, celebrities have been asked to share information on topics that they really have no experience with. David Beckham informs us about global poverty through the charity UNICEF, Ed Sheeran raises awareness for refugees, and Kevin Keegan prepares Brits for nuclear war. This isn't by accident. These messages are more effective. We know that Kevin Keegan knows nothing more than us about the effects of severe radiation poisoning, and yet people are more likely to listen to his advice. The reason is due to something called the halo effect. We automatically assume a person with one good or bad quality to have similar good or bad qualities in unrelated areas. That's how Joseph Marx, author of Messengers, defines the halo effect. Kevin Keegan, he knew no more than the average person about nuclear war, yet we're more likely to listen to him because we know he's great at football and we assume he's good at other things. It sounds crazy, but it really works. The halo effect was first documented by Edward Thorndike in his 1920 study. Thorndike asked two commanding officers in the army to evaluate their soldiers in terms of physical qualities, stuff like how neat they were, their voice, their physique, their bearing, their energy. Um, he asked them to evaluate them on intellect, on leadership skills, and on personal qualities as well, including dependability, loyalty, responsibility, selflessness, and cooperation. Basically, he said rate your soldiers on lots of different qualities. He analysed the ranking and noticed an odd trend. The rankings were very highly correlated with the individual's appearance, essentially how attractive and well-groomed they were. 
Thorndike said this gave the individuals a metaphoric halo, influencing the perception of all sorts of other qualities, like intellect and loyalty. To many of you, this won't be a surprise to hear. The link between attractiveness and perceived ability is nothing new. Daniel Hammersmith, a notable US economist, defined this link as the beauty premium. He found that being perceived as beautiful or attractive can increase your annual earnings by as much as 10-15%. to But it's not just beauty, it's height as well. A study by Judge and Cable found that for every inch taller a person is, their wealth, on average, increases by between 510 to 610 pounds a month. This is the case for both men and women. A Dutch supermarket study measured who would hold the door open for others when entering a Dutch supermarket. <laughs> this is right, a Dutch, these Dutch researchers really sat outside a Dutch supermarket for an entire day just making note of who held the door open and how tall they were. Interestingly, they found that the smaller person holds the door open 67% of the time when a taller person is trying to enter the door at the same time. 67% of the time. This wasn't a one-off, by the way. They studied more than 2,000 individuals entering and exiting this Dutch supermarket. But this study is really just the tip of the iceberg. The halo effect can also affect your chance of acquittal in court. Efran, in 1974, found subjects were more lenient when sentencing attractive individuals than unattractive ones. The researchers attributed the result to the perception that people with a high level of attractiveness are seen as more likely to have successful futures due to their corresponding socially desirable traits. Essentially, it's the halo effect all again. And this isn't all of it as well. There's a, there's a negative side to the halo effect, and it's known as the horn effect. This is essentially the reverse of the halo effect. Here, one negative trait can affect the perception of the individual. Foster, in 1976, found the horn effect present in teachers' evaluations of children. In the study, school teachers were shown videos of a child who they were told was either emotionally disturbed, possessing a learning disorder, or, and this is the term they used back in the study, normal. The teachers then completed referral forms based on the child's behaviour in the class. The results essentially showed that when the teacher was told that a child had, for example, an emotionally disturbed background, they would rank that child as being less productive and collaborative in class. The twist with this experiment is that some of the children were indeed emotionally disturbed, but others weren't. Yet, the teachers ranked both sets of children negatively. Just knowing that there was a negative trait potentially with that child was enough to change the perception. Now, this is tough to hear, but maybe it doesn't surprise you. Whether we like it or not, our subconscious is influenced by the traits that we associate with people. That might mean we're more likely to vote for a tall person, or more likely to illegally walk across the street. Yes, even jaywalking is affected by the halo effect. In one of my favourite studies on this bias, Lefkowitz attempted to measure if the halo effect could encourage people to jaywalk. At busy intersections with lots of pedestrian traffic, the researcher got fellow researchers to jaywalk across the street and count how many people followed them. In the first scenario, the researchers were dressed in normal clothes, like jeans and a t-shirt. 
perhaps unsurprisingly, just a handful of people followed these jaywalkers over the course of the day. In the second scenario, however, the researchers wore a suit. Now, the basic hypothesis here is that a suit could highlight that the individual is wealthy or powerful, and it may trigger the halo effect. Turns out, that hypothesis is bang on. People were three times more likely to follow the jaywalker across the street when the researcher was wearing a suit. This idea doesn't just hold true for people, it holds true for all types of things, including, weirdly enough, websites. A 2002 study by Lingard and Dudek asked users how they rated the visual appeal of a group of websites. Essentially, they were asked how attractive the websites were. These same sites were then tested on their usability. The participants were asked to navigate to certain parts of the site and rate how easy the site was to use. Finally, the participants were asked how satisfied they were with the site. Interestingly, participants' satisfaction was considerably swayed by the site's visual appeal, essentially how pretty it was. Even sites that had very low usability scores, these are sites that really were difficult to use, people struggled to do the things they were asked, they were still considered more satisfactory than a less attractive site with a high usability score, i.e. a site which is easy to use but just doesn't look as nice. For these sites, form really does beat function. So we know it works for websites, and well, the same holds true for brands as well. There are heaps of examples from Aldi to Apple that I won't bore you with, but I will share one which I find fascinating. One example that I've fallen for before. Have you ever heard of Ronald McDonald House? See, I reckon you have, or at least you think you have. You see, the Ronald McDonald House is a globally known charity. Now, it's globally known probably not because of their fantastic marketing, but from the halo effect they get from being associated with McDonald's. In an awareness survey, 95% of participants claim they were aware of the charity, a huge amount of awareness for a charity. But the charity themselves claim that's almost completely down to the halo effect, this fact that people subconsciously link them with the McDonald's brand. They know that McDonald's is big and powerful, so they assume the charity is as well. This halo effect has boosted awareness and, more importantly, donations for the charity. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Okay, that's the halo effect in a nutshell. So far, we've covered what the halo effect is. We've seen how it changes our perception about people and brands. And we've seen heaps of evidence that this bias is real. 
And yet, late last year, I saw a study on the halo effect and I didn't believe it. It was peer-reviewed, it was published in a reputable journal, yet I was dubious. The study was titled To Be In Vogue, How Mere Proximity to High-Status Neighbours Affects the Aspirational Pricing in the US Fashion Industry. Basically, the researchers analysed adverts going back years in the Vogue magazine. What the researchers wanted to see was if a middle-brow fashion brand could raise their prices if they appeared alongside a high-end brand like Gucci or Rolex. In other words, is the halo effect so powerful that just placing your ad next to a Gucci ad, would it boost your status? Their study concluded that it does. They stated that having a middle-brow brand's ad placed next to a high-end one increased the perceived status of that middle-brow brand and the willingness to pay. It's a really interesting finding that could suggest all sorts of things. It could suggest that H&M would benefit from placing their stores next to Rolexes, that Walmarts should advertise alongside Whole Foods, or that Tesco's own brand baked beans would get a boost from sitting next to Heinz on the shelf. And yet, despite knowing all I know about the halo effect, I didn't buy it. Don't get me wrong, I'm a sucker for most research papers and I often believe whatever they suggest, but this one just seemed a bit too good to be true. Sure, the halo effect works on people and it works in some contexts with brands, but I just couldn't see how simply placing an ad next to a high-status brand could really change perception. So, I decided to test it. Now, a quick disclaimer here, I'm not a scientist and my experiment has not been peer-reviewed. I'm just testing it because I was intrigued. I wanted to know for myself if the halo effect really works in this way. So my experiment was simple. I reached out to 100 participants of all demographic groups within the UK using Google surveys. I asked the group a simple question. Would you listen to this podcast? And beneath that question was a picture of the Nudge podcast logo. That's the logo you'll see on screen if you open up your podcast player right now. However, I added a twist. Half of the participants saw the Nudge logo on top of a blue background. The other half saw the logo, but this time in the background, you could see the faintly dimmed logos of other very popular podcasts. Now, these weren't random podcasts. No, I wanted to test the halo effect, so I picked six of the most popular shows in the UK at the time. These were shows like Off Menu, Desert Island Discs, and No Such Thing as a Fish. I picked those shows because I knew they were some of the most well-known podcasts within the UK. I should add, though, that I made sure the participant wouldn't get confused which podcast they were being asked about. The Nudge logo was in full colour, front and centre, and about twice the size of the dimmed logos behind them. One day, and $100 later, Google surveys came back with a result. I had questioned whether people would listen to my podcast and showed a normal image of my logo and then an image with other high-status brands around the logo. And... Well, despite what I thought about this paper, I was wrong. I was dead wrong, seriously wrong. It turns out people were three times more willing to listen to Nudge Podcasts when it was pictured alongside other well-known shows. When the logo was seen on its own, just 6.4% of people said they would listen. When it was alongside these popular peers, 
15.8% said they would listen. It's clear that the halo effect genuinely has this influence, and it blew my mind. Just being in the presence of high-status others boosted the appeal of my show. So when you're promoting your brand, launching a product, or starting a marketing campaign, don't just think about your offering, think about the popular offerings you can place alongside it. Now, I was tempted to end the show here. After all, we've covered the important elements. You've learned about the halo effect. You've heard how studies show its effect on our perceptions across wages, jury verdicts, and brand awareness. And I shared my surprising findings from my own survey, which, by the way, you can see for yourself by clicking the link in the show notes. But before leaving, I wanted to share my favorite example of the halo effect, and it comes from Dave Trott's book, The Power of Ignorance. See, back in the late 1800s, James Murray wanted to do something unheard of. He wanted to document every word in the English language. Not only did he want to document the words, but he wanted a clear, agreed-upon definition for each word. And he wanted to add information about when each word had first appeared in the English language. Now, this is a massive task. No one had done this before. So he started the only way he knew how, and that was by defining every single word he could think of. But soon he realised, well, that wasn't going to be possible. Sure, anyone can define a few hundred words, but thousands, tens of thousands, that's just too much work, at least for one person. But Murray wasn't put off. He decided to crowdsource the problem, which in the 1800s meant placing ads in newspapers asking others for help. Now, most people who saw the ads, they they couldn't be bothered. One or two people came back with a handful of descriptions, but nobody really took up the task. That was until 1881, when Murray began to receive replies in the post from Dr. W.C. Minor. These weren't one-off replies like the others. These were large parcels, and inside each parcel was hundreds of definitions with information about where each word had first appeared, some going back hundreds of years. The clarity and attention to detail was astonishing. Over the years that Dr. Minor contributed, his contributions came in their thousands. And finally, with Dr. Minor's incredible support, Murray was able to publish the first ever dictionary. In the preface to this dictionary, James Murray expressed his gratitude to Dr. Minor. He writes in the dictionary that his contribution was invaluable in enhancing our illustration of the literary history of individual words, phrases and constructions, the unflagging services of Dr. Minor which week by week supplied additional quotations have made it possible to put these words to press. By 1889, James Murray and Dr. Minor had been corresponding for eight years, but without ever meeting. And one day, Dr. Justin Windsor, a librarian of Harvard, told James Murray something he didn't expect to hear. He said, You have given great pleasure to many Americans by speaking as you do about poor Dr. Minor, who is, of course, a very painful case. James Murray asked what problem a cultivated, educated man like Dr. Minor could have, and Dr. Windsor was amazed he didn't know. He explained that Dr. Minor was a patient in Broadmoor Asylum for the Criminally Insane. He was an American who shot and murdered another innocent man. This is a fascinating origin story of the world's first dictionary, but it's also a classic example of the halo effect taking hold. 
James Murray based his perception of Dr. Minor simply on the extensiveness and detail of his work. He didn't stop to think that perhaps the work was so detailed because Dr. Minor had all the time in the world to complete it, or perhaps that he had the type of warped personality that allowed him to focus so intensely on one task. No, he was influenced by the halo effect, and unfortunately he was, because if he wasn't, if he did find out who Dr. Minor really was, well, then the first dictionary wouldn't have been published back then. And maybe the entire concept of what a dictionary really is would have been very different today. Okay, folks, that's all for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. I, I really enjoyed putting it together. Um, I had really good fun putting together the study that I referenced earlier. And if you want to take a look at the study, I've left some links to the show notes for you to go and have a look at the study that I set up. If you're keen to learn more about today's subject, The Halo Effect, then go check out Joseph Mark's book, Messenger. It's my favourite book on The Halo Effect. And if you haven't picked up a Dave Trott book yet, then you're missing out because they're all brilliant, they're all classics and they're worth reading. Hopefully my halo effect will wear off a little on you and you'll decide to sign up for my newsletter this week. On the newsletter, I share quick, digestible tips from behaviour science that you can apply to your marketing. I don't think it's like any other marketing newsletter you'll read and I really don't think you'll regret signing up. So go and give it a go and if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe whenever. To do so, you can click the link in the show notes or you can go to nudgepodcast.com and press newsletter in the menu. Okay, that's all from me this week. Cheers and thank you again for listening to Nudge.